0: Hey, if you're tuning into this episode, you're going to have an amazing time in hearing about some of the metrics of importance. Now, this is for those who hate the, you know, scroll-stopping extra cool advertisements that pop up and say 1,000 cash-on-cash return or uh, 320% ROI and you just get confused and you figure out like, how the hell are these properties doing that? The truth is, most of them are and aren't doing it, meaning they are doing it because if you break down the numbers, yes, on your cash, that's lower leveraged property makes percentages of gains look bigger. Sexy, right? But they aren't doing it because they're not a true look of everything when you think of selling costs, lawyers, pest and building on the way ins and outs, and truly the exit. And then you start getting one month suburb growth, three month suburb growth, 12 months, six months, all these valuations in different numbers. And, and it makes it look like the performance of everyone is instant at all the time in, in certain property work. But the truth is, suburb data is not your friend in one-month timelines. It's statistically insignificant and therefore making it difficult for you to then truly say all these vowels and performance are genuinely happening. So instead, you're going to get some metrics here that do matter, that helped me on my journey to scale to $12 million in assets, that helped me stay composed and focused on long-term, and that I promise you will help you kill all the confusion, kill the crazy metrics people are throwing out there, and the ways that people measure real estate investing. We already know real estate is great from the perspective of leverage and offers you higher ROI due to less money in and growth on the top line, but many people don't look at it from its true net costs. And lastly, many people should focus on other numbers that are far simpler, like long-term compounding growth, end cash flow come retirement time, and then outperformance in comparison to current and national markets. So I hope this helps you. I hope it gives you some clarity. And at any time, if you do have you know, uh, things that you're looking there, pause it, rewind a bit, start working through these numbers. The main thing is we're trying to kill confusion on this show, not add to it. Bring simplicity to your investing journey. It's helped me a lot. And use that learning and time in data and research to focus on areas for outperformance and why and what causes it not the end numbers that make numbers look sexier, like ROI and cash on cash in real estate. Those terms are better placed for maybe some other things to look at. And right now, I love focusing on the top line of real estate because that to me just focuses more on the simple ways to look at long-term growth. Uh, If you're a very technicals investor, be my guest, go through it, but at least do it properly and at least put in all the ins and outs on the buy and the sell, not just the hypotheticals. I hope this helps you. Long-term investing and these sorts of rules I share in this podcast have helped me, and I promise you will help you avoid and cut all the BS that's out there and help you just focus in on what's really important, which is growing well, renting well, renting quickly, scaling to multiple, and getting rid of debts eventually to have a high income for you and your family. Take care and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Investor podcast. And in today's episode, we'll be going through all things metrics of performance. Now, when I'm talking performance, I'm not talking about uh, vacancy rates, inventory levels, sales volumes, or anything like that. I'm actually talking about performance from a growth perspective. Like we're talking about, hey, how did your asset perform? Or how did your asset go over long-term, short-term, and so forth? Now, when we're looking at these metrics, The first thing I want to do is use this episode to try and kill all the confusion and all the stuff that shouldn't really matter that much. Because sometimes there is a lot of confusion out there in the marketplace and this makes results seem better than they are. And the most common one that's used are things like ROI, cash on cash return, return on cash invested, another way that people put it. And this makes numbers look way sexier than what they are. And the whole point of this podcast here is to make you go, what number actually important, what numbers are great on a short-term basis, what numbers are more long-term thinking, and then what really matters. And so when you think of it all, this is going to help you avoid all the, the fluff out there or things that don't really make sense and things that shouldn't be crazily celebrated because it makes numbers look better than they are, okay? So firstly, we'll talk about some of those things I spoke, which are return on cash invested or cash on cash return or, or growth rates of, uh, you know, recouped money or ROI. And I might've confused a lot of people here, but the main thing here is that these are all metrics to do with money invested in. So for example, let's take a 500 K property now with a 20% deposit, that's 100 K down. And we're just going to assume for the purpose of this discussion that costs are about 35K stamp duties, buyer's agents, lawyers, pest and building, and maybe somewhere around Queensland, New South Wales. Now, at 135, if you're getting that 100% return on your cash invested, you kind of need to see growth of 135, right? Because it's like you put in 135, asset grows from 500K value to 635, and now you've got 635. Is 135 more than the asset you purchased at 500 and the total cash you put in at 135, right? Now, if you cut this number up in a few different ways, you get a few different metrics. So, firstly, if you look at the cash on cash return or ROI, you know, some people might go 100% increase. Some people might go 200% because your cash doubling. And then some people might look at that if you paid less for the deal, say you put a 10% deposit in and that's now 50k, not 100k, that cash on cash or ROI number starts to increase even higher and it becomes an even sexier number, call it you know, 150 to 300%. Now this gives you a lot of confusion, doesn't it? Because 100, 150, 200, 250, 300% makes investing look like the sexiest thing ever. And all of a sudden, it makes it look like your money's really doing well. Now all it did is introduce the power of leverage, and that's why those ROI perspectives is greater. But the second thing is, probably just did it from a marketing perspective or confusing you perspective or make you really think that your money's working super, super hard. Now don't get me wrong, investing's great, this is what I help many people for, this is what I do for myself personally, and with over 600 purchases for clients, it's definitely proof in the bag that, you know, we know these metrics and what they do. But you won't hear me talk all about cash on cash, ROI, like crazy. And the reason because is these numbers aren't really that truthful, and When you hear everyone out there talking about them, here's how you stay clear of the BS. The first thing is that when you actually look at selling costs of a home, did you also think of the growth with sale costs considered too? Because it's cash on cash return, but you can't ever leverage 100% of it. You can only leverage 80 or 90% of those gains. So you're only going to ever touch a certain portion of it, not all of it. And then secondly, you're not looking at it from an exit incomplete. Because when you exit, there's sales costs, CGT. There's also maintenance in between. There's also vacancy in between. There's also negative cash flow in between. And then there's also uh, lawyer costs and things like that that you'd have on sale. And who knows, on sale, maybe if you didn't have the place properly, you know, put together, you might have to do some reductions come pest and building side in case you handed off stuff with maintenance to do. So is that number really true then? Is that number really important then? Unless those events haven't taken place. And so I prefer simplifying this. Let's not talk about cash on cash return, ROI. These are all the share investing numbers. And these numbers make sense more in other vehicles where there isn't so much ins and outs like there is in the dynamic of property investing. And so when I think of property investing, let's just stop with all the numbers and all the craziness of metrics that make numbers look sexier and really just focus on what the outcome is. The outcome is one of two things. You want to see large wealth building occur over time. You want to exit on that wealth building, whether it be through generational wealth to pass down, whether it be through exiting and then putting it back into higher income assets like stocks or like commercial property, or whether it be exiting to pay down your home, stay debt free, chill out, whatever it is that's your call. Or not exiting and just killing it with your job and business forever and work till you die and enjoy what you do and and love it and enjoy lifestyle in between and never have to wait for something to happen to enjoy it. That is up to you. But that's the first part people want wealth building. Wealth building might give them equity out for a car, or it might give them equity out for more investments, or might do other things along the way, but that's wealth building. The second thing is cash flow. People don't come in unless they're really focused on number one with a successful business or job that they never want to escape or never want to kind of move on or never want options of. People usually come into real estate for the purpose of cash flow at some point in the future. So if you're thinking of cash flow at some point in the future, But really, the two things you're after is, how much income will this thing get me in the long term? And secondly, how do I get there with what sort of wealth do I build in the long term? All this ROI, all this cash on cash, all these things are fancy charts in the middle. So what does matter then when it comes to performance? When it comes to performance, there are just two to three ways I like to look at it. The first one is long-term averages of real estate. And I think most people should do their planning on this basis. Now, depending on what data sets you take and how long you stretch the curve, pretty much anywhere in Australia or most of Australia gets to about 6 to 8% long-term averages. And so just the fact that you're in real estate and you're holding it for a very long time, you can probably expect those returns if you're relying on history, which shouldn't always be done. But look, what else do you rely on if not last 40 or 50, 60 years? Number two is when you take that metric, what you can do is you can start looking at conservative numbers to base your planning on. So for example, if it's six to eight percent long term averages, maybe you look at five to seven or five to six for your planning perspectives. And now you've got your long term curve. So you can actually have meaningful mapping of where you're trying to get to with real estate, where your wealth may be on those long term averages. And you can take it as conservative as you'd like. Notice these numbers are lots you know, smoother and softer. Five, six, seven, eight, not a hundred percent, two hundred percent, three hundred thousand percent ROI. Cut the cut the stuff. Like, do you know what I mean? Like that's just over the top. That should not be celebrated, in my opinion. I think the fact that you're getting into real estate, the fact that you're looking at you know, your wealth gain for your family, for your loved ones, and achieving your goals, that's what's celebrated. And keeping it simple, the end outcome is cash flow, and the interim or end outcome is wealth building. And with wealth building, you can take long-term averages of six to eight, and you can probably make it a little bit conservative and go five to seven. So now we know that. The second thing to understand is this is not linear. It doesn't happen every single year. Don't go into real estate thinking of that. And to give you some examples, let's just take some of our major cities from a expectation setting. We all think Sydney, Melbourne, the mecca of real estate, I own assets in some of these markets. And look, you've got to know that all our cities will have some volatility at some point. 2000 to 2006, do you think Sydney and Melbourne were the best? They you were know, probably one of the lower ones, even though they'd boomed. Adelaide and Brisbane shot the lights out. Later on in that decade, Perth was one of the best, shot the lights out. Then you go to a quieter period for Sydney and Melbourne, and you go to 2012 to 17, those two were the best cities by far. Then you go to sort of 2015 to 2020, Hobart, regional Tasmania, regional Victoria, amazing performance. And if we just stay back to our capitals, during that same time, Sydney and Melbourne declined, and then went zigzag for the next five years from 2017 to 2022, with a decline, boom, decline in between, and not much movement over a five-year basis. But it's these law of averages that happen over long term that create these metrics of performance of six to eight, five to seven. compounding long-term numbers. So now that you know that compounding number, what other numbers can you look at in the short term? Well, what you can do is something I like to do, which is outperformance on national average. So I think to myself like this, I go, hey, for myself or for my clients, I'm gonna make an investment decision and this investment decision is a property that's presented to me, for myself, or to a client. And when this investment property is presented, the country goes in a certain direction because you're making a housing decision in Australia at any given point. And the law of averages for the country, yes, quite macro, quite large. And I don't like to use this data often, but it's just simple in performance to use sometimes. And if we look at last year, 2022, you saw the country decline by eight to ten percent, or six to ten percent, depending on which data set you use. So knowing this decline of six to ten percent, in fact, anything that's not declined, declined less, or declined or gained value is outperformance. And that's a short term. Now you won't hear me saying a hundred thousand percent outperformance. You won't hear me saying cash on cash return you won't hear me saying the return on delta or this stuff at the end of the day you're here to buy property for your family's goal not all these crazy numbers not one month average growth three month average growth two month average growth all these sorts of things outperformance by x on average growth they're just metrics that confuse because to be honest anything that's short term driven is likely low on sample size and if you used a property or a suburb decision it's not enough statistical significance to drive enough meaningful growth data So those who comment that frequency, that low, treating treating property like stocks are just really doing so to confuse you or confuse yourself or confuse those around you in decision making or indecision making. So indecision and in a decision, right? So I think from there, when you look at our performance, it's really quite simple. So for example, at Investikit, our performance for clients over the last five-year average is that we will outperform the national market results and have been doing so for the last five years by at least 29%. And this is based on just two simple things. Number one, bank valuations. And number two, averages of our clients purchases in the first year since purchase. And 29%, that's not 1000 or 137% cash on cash ROI, nothing like that. Because at the end of the day, every couple person has a very different dynamic for how much cash they put into a deal. Are they going to sell it or not? How much interest they pay? How much cost they pay? There's too many variances so you're just nitpicking and trying to pick like all these different things and you're picking the best number actually to be able to look at your cash on cash returns and so those who therefore put the least money down take on mortgage insurance naturally have the highest cash on cash returns because they put high leverage low cash that's the game of property investing i get it but there's too much differences in client by client and asset and sale and buy price exit cost buy costs holding costs that you can get any realistic or actual proper number on this consistently. So what you should do is actually just think of growth on average against nationals and see how you go, outperform in the short term, and then come back to your long term for six to eight or five to seven. And that is what a successful plan looks like. And that is what I do for myself. So for example, putting all that I've shared with you today, let's look at it down and break it down to metrics of performance that truly matter. Number one, looking at a long-term average and making it slightly conservative. So you're at six to eight, go five to seven. Number two is that looking at it from a time horizon that in Australia increases the chances of you to be in those averages. If you're looking at a five and 10 year and 15 year investment basis, the chance of being at six to eight and five to seven is far lower. So take it on a 20 to 30 year basis because almost everywhere has achieved that. Then number two, or number three, should I say, is start to go into your actual short term and start to look at our performance. And just benchmark it for simple with two data points. Number one is if I made a decision this year, how did it go in comparison to the nation? Number two is when I look at it, how much was the growth of my asset? So for example, the nation went up nothing. Your property went up 10%. And I actually will make it even simpler, the example. The nation went up 10%. And in investigate averages, we talked about 29% or more our clients went up 12.9 or more. So that 2.9 on top of 10 is a 29% increase. So from that perspective, that's a percentage increase on our performance, a much simpler number. And then that gives you certainty to go, hey, firstly, is it more than my five to seven for long-term averages? Great. Some years it will be, some years it won't. Is it in comparison to the national average better and as a percentage by how much? And let's just keep it simple at that. This will give you peace of mind. This will remove a lot of confusion. This will probably help you skip an advertisement or two as well. That probably hypes things a bit too much. So if you're focusing on that lane of long-term averages, take a conservative approach to it, stretch your timeline curve, great. Then number two is look at the growth of the asset in bank valuation. And then from that bank valuation, how did it go against national performance? And then what was that percentage as an outperformance? And lastly, it's the outcome that matters. So if you're going to take the outcome, which is you looking at your uh, current valuation and just seeing what equity you can take to see if that gets you the result you want. And if it can't, remain patient. The next year will come and you'll be able to do another review to a similar basis. Don't put so many metrics on yourself on performance and don't let data be cut in 10, 20, 30, 40 different ways for performance. At the end of the day, just come to your outcome. The outcome is you have long-term averages, you want to grow wealth, you want to grow in terms of cash flow, and you've got to make purchases, holding, and clearing of debt to get there. And in the short term, you're seeking out performance from national averages. So you're making a better decision than the country does, typically. You're using bank valuations to verify it. You put the cash in you want to put in or cash less of how much you want to put in. Don't let that throw your crazy ROI and metrics all around the place, because cash in or out is just a decision you make based on the cash flow you're willing to pay out, lose, or gain. So if you're very low risk, you might put in 30% deposits. Who cares if your ROI is smaller because you put in more money in the deal? Your asset decision is still what grew and you put in more money in the deal to feel more comfortable because you didn't want to have so much of a short flow in cash flow. That's risk and comfort. Don't let that make your decision of performance be weaker because you're using ROI or cash on cash. Let them be great metrics for the other industries. For property investing, keep it simple. The long term is in your favor. Put in the cash you wanted to feel comfortable based on your risk parameters. Look at performance each year via bank valuations. How did it go against the country? Do you hold longer? What is your long-term plan? Growth against the country, growth on your asset. And this is keeping it simple with metrics of performance, what I've done for myself and my clients over the last eight years for myself and five years for clients. And why you won't see us hyping things up like crazy with cash on cash ROI every single day, And we'll just be focusing on things that are important to you, which is you want to buy more properties. You want to rent a property for more. You want it to rent quickly. You want to have a plan in place. You want to get to the plan. You want to lower your risk. You want to diversify your assets. You want to buy houses, not units and townhouses. You want to mix between residential and commercial, and you want some accountability to a plan. Put all those pieces together, you get a beautiful mix and likeliness of of accelerated success on your investing journey. Don't fall to the trap of all the different data points, the way to cut up data to look sexier. And just focus on the end growth, how it is in comparison to the benchmark of the nation and set your parameters so your expectations are less. My expectations are that I'm happy if everything in my asset does 5% per annum long-term. Some years will beat it, some years will be similar, some years will be lower. And the reason why is I just put out all the charts, I put in my assets in, I said, what would 5% do? And I go, hey, I'm happy with that. Even though most of the nation does 6 to 8%, i will take 5 those expectations, let me sit back, focus in on my plan. And those expectations for you will not help you, or will help you, my apologies, get you to a point where you can start to go, hey, I'm okay with this. I'm going to trust the process. I'm going to go long-term because you don't have these crazy cash on cash ROI and metrics thrown at you that you then need to think my asset's going to go up a thousand percent. But really, it's just all over the place, just numbers that confuse you. So I think Keep it simple and hope this helps you in understanding the metrics of performance that are important to me at the end of the day, what the end outcome is, what really matters. Not all the numbers in between that can sometimes make things look better than they are or just confuse you or even turn you off investing because you didn't achieve 1,347% ROI cash on cash. Cut it, let it go and uh, start simplifying the journey because it gets a whole lot easier when you start simplifying it.